Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. So today we're continuing on in, in our series in Romans. Uh, this is actually a series that we began back in September. Uh, started off then, and we were in it for about three months, and then took a break for Advent, and then really January. January we had a couple weeks on prayer and fasting, and we had a vision Sunday. And so we're uh, getting back into Romans, and we'll uh, finish out Romans over the next month or so. And today I actually just kind of want to do a little bit of review, simply because it has been two months since we've looked at Romans, and so just kind of a big picture review of of what we've covered and where we believe that that Paul is going in this letter. And it was interesting, I was, you know, um, so this week I was reviewing my notes on Romans and and looking through of it, and one of the things that really kind of struck me anew was just how Romans keeps getting... um, like highlighted or referenced, um, not only for for significant kind of people in church history, but also really notable times of church history, like notable events in church history. Um, St. Augustine was converted through his reading of Romans. Luther wrote that Romans is the chief part of the New Testament, which is a pretty big statement. Like, this is the chief part of the New Testament— He said it's the very purest gospel, and he said that Christians should know it word for word by heart, which is, that's a pretty big ask. There's like 16 chapters in there. Uh, Warren Wearsby wrote that if a Bible student wishes to master any one book of the Bible, let it be Romans. An understanding of this book is key to unlocking the entire word of God. Uh, William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, believed that every Christian should memorize Romans. Um, and But this is the quote that, that really stuck out to me. So Frederick um, Gaudet, he's a Swiss theologian, and he writes this. Every moment of revival in the history of the Christian church has been connected to the teachings set forth in Romans. And it is probably that every great spiritual renovation in the church will always... Be, uh, both in cause and effect, be linked to a deeper knowledge of this book. So his analysis was that every moment of revival in church history was somehow connected to the teachings in Romans. And, I mean, I didn't, I was not able to go back and kind of, you know, find the original quote and analyze his data and check out his spreadsheet or anything like that, so I can't kind of confirm or deny his conclusion. And so, I mean, if he's wrong, it's kind of no big deal. But if he's correct, that every moment of revival somehow has connection to, to Romans, to the teaching of Romans, like, that's, that's huge. Like, that, that's really significant. And it's kind of, you know, to be honest, for years I avoided preaching through Romans because it was just really intimidating. I thought, oh, I like... I don't, I'm not ready for that one yet, you know? And so I just kind of thought, I don't know enough yet to, to preach through Romans. And so, you know, finally we're embarking on Romans. And now I'm wondering, maybe I had it all backwards. 
Like, maybe Romans should have just been week one right out of the gate. Um, most churches, most Christians want revival, right? And by revival, we mean really kind of two things. You have a bunch of non-Christians becoming Christians, and you have a bunch of Christians who are, you know, they're, they're confessing sin, and they're growing in holiness, and that kind of thing, right? And most, most churches, most Christians would say, yeah, we want that. That sounds great. We would love for that to happen. But to realize that that's going to be somehow connected with, with the book of Romans. Two other things. So in 1738, John Wesley, he goes to uh, some kind of spiritual gathering, and he experiences a lot of personal spiritual renewal. And he, and he writes that out of that meeting, then he experienced this kind of this personal revival. From that led to the great Wesleyan revival um, in, I believe it was England and most of Europe. And then he went on to found the Methodist Church. And Martin Luther launched the Protestant Reformation on Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. So, you know, with that kind of resume, it's like, you know, there's something really sig- significant here. Maybe, just maybe revival, whether it be personal or corporate, simply does not come about until we understand Romans. And, and I would explain Romans to this. I would simply say that Romans is the gospel message explained in full detail. And, and I'm and doing this, I'm also in kind of increasingly intrigued by the positioning of Romans in the New Testament. Because we have the Gospels, right, which are the account of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we have the story of the early church, that's the book of Acts. And then we have basically a whole bunch of letters uh, written by people to other people or to other churches or that kind of thing. But really, before any of those, we read about any of those letters, really we read about, we, we read Romans. And, and I'm starting to think that what they, when they organized things, they did that intentionally, because if Romans is the full and kind of complete understanding of the gospel, so we read that first, and then... In all of these other letters to all these other churches and people, you'll see, you know, Paul or Peter or others pull ideas from Romans and then apply it to different situations. Hey, Church of Ephesus. Hey, Timothy, who I'm mentoring. Right? Like, you know, hey, Philippians. Like, and then, and then you can see where they're pulling ideas from the gospel to the kind of to the unique situation that, that's going on. Romans is considered Paul's greatest piece of writing. Like a lot of the writings, it was done much later on in his life, much later on in his ministry, really after decades of ministry. Uh, We know that Paul wanted to travel to Rome. It is a letter that that was written to the church at Rome. There were already Christians at Rome. We don't know how they got there or who first kind of planted that church. We got theories, but we're we're not for certain. We just know that Paul wanted to go he had plans to go there, but then plans changed, and he needed to go back the other way. So, so he writes this letter to the, to the church, and, and he introduces himself, and then he, he lays out the gospel. And like we said already, it's really kind of unlike any other book in the New Testament. Some theologians think that we need another category just, just um, for the, the book of Romans. In unpacking the gospel, um, uh, well, let me... Paul begins Romans really by introducing himself, as, as he should, right? He hasn't met most of these people. So the first couple of verses, Paul's going to introduce himself, talk about himself really a bit, uh, a little bit. And then I would say really his theme verse for the entire, like he does his intro, and then he has two verses. 
that I would say are really the theme verse for the entire book, and that's Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, before he really kind of launches into the detail. And so Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteousness shall live by faith. And I would say really for the rest of the book, he unpacks those two verses in incredible detail. So, um, right after that, he launches into the problem, and the problem is sin. And Paul is going to really take the next three chapters talking about sin. This is really where... The story starts. This is really where our story starts. Uh, right away in Romans 1. Uh, three times Paul uses this phrase, God gave them up. And after each time he says that, then he has a paragraph where he just lists this whole litany of, of sins. And, and it's, it's fascinating in his wording, God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. It gives the impression really that Man wanted to sin so badly, but God somehow in his grace was, you know, just restraining them, restraining them, restraining them. And then, and then finally God just relented and let man have his way. And mankind just ran full bore into any and every hedonistic pleasure that he could conjure up. And so in those initial verses, Paul lists through. In verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And then he goes on uh, in the upcoming verses, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. He mentions impurity, dishonoring of their bodies, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. He mentions um, acts or, or behaviors of homosexuality amongst women and then men. And then he, he mentions unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, Kids, you're in here too. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They did not only um, they not o- they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Paul describes a debased mind, a mind that is so surrendered to sin that it is simply no longer able to make good decisions. Much like a mind. Uh, can be altered or affected by drugs or or alcohol so that it's incapable of making certain decisions. It's the same for the influence of sin. The mind can be so under the influence of sin that it is simply no longer capable of making good, holy decisions. Connected with all of this is a very common, a very important question. What happens to people who have never heard of Jesus, right? Another way that you could really say this is, do the consequences of sin still apply if someone has never heard of Jesus? Good question. That's a valid question. And, and so Paul addresses that as well, too, in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. 
because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. No one has excuse because God has revealed enough of himself in nature that if people wanted God, they could figure out the basics. The problem is, people don't want God. So, that's the opening part of, of, sin, uh, of Paul addressing sin. In chapter 2, he shifts from the blatant sins of humanity, and then he starts to focus in on the moralist. So, uh, now he's addressing someone who would maybe believe in a God, but they would believe that it's their good works, or their good behavior, or their pedigree that gets them into heaven, or gets them good standing in the afterlife. And um, as far as I'm aware, uh, all world religions really take some variation of this approach, where, you know, if you behave a certain way, then God will let you into heaven, or you'll have favor or a good outcome in the afterlife. Uh, Mormonism, Islam, Hinduism, Sikhism. Uh, I believe there are some streams of Catholicism. There's even some warped versions of Christianity um, that, that kind of go this way. So Paul's audience in chapter 2 is still the person who has not accepted Christ as Savior, but they do think that by being a really nice person, then Jesus will be really happy with them. Paul continues to lay this foundation that we are all sinners. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, If men do not understand the law, or another, yeah, the law, they will not feel that they are sinners. And if they are not consciously sinners, they will never value the sin offering. There is no healing a man till the law has wounded him, no making him alive till the law has slain him. Romans 3, there's a, a big a section where Paul quote some verses, and he's quoting from the Psalms, and I just thought that he quoted from a psalm. Actually, it's a collection of psalms. Paul quotes from five different psalms, at least, um, but he, he's very intentional in the structure, and in doing so, he references throat, tongue, lips, mouth, feet, and eyes, and the message that he's trying to get through is really that every part of, of a person is sinful. And then after this, Paul eventually gets to Romans 3.23, which would really be the summary verse for these first three chapters. For all have sinned. That's really the, the theme for the first three chapters. All have sinned. And he's real thorough. These are all the sins. And even if you think you're a good person, you've sinned. All have sinned. Because of that sin, all fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that can come by Christ Jesus. So he's giving a teaser of what he's going to share next. Because in Romans 4, Paul shifts the emphasis from sin to salvation. So we have a problem. Problem is sin. We need a solution. How do we fix that? Now he begins to speak of salvation. Um, just one thing I would point out, just to clarify, he will use a slightly more technical term. He will, he will say justified or justification, um, which is kind of... Salvation is, is perhaps maybe a broader term. Justification, he is referring to that moment in time where you said yes to Jesus and you gave your life to him, you know, confessed your sins, that kind of thing. So if you read justified, justification, just kind of a more narrowed down, focused um, um, term referencing salvation. 
Paul explains that justification, salvation, is by faith. It's not by works. You're not saved by being a good person, right? It only takes one tiny sin to disqualify you. And so really, to be honest, like somewhere between, you know, getting out of bed and driving here to church, you sinned enough to justify hell, right? So, like, it's just, like, good works aren't, aren't going to cut it. Like, you've already done enough since breakfast to, to disqualify you, okay? Um, so justification is by faith, uh, by placing our trust in Jesus Christ. Justification is by grace, not the law. So the law is, is this written code of behavior in the Old Testament. The Jewish people believed that if they were really, really good at following it and really legalistic about the whole thing, then they could earn their way into heaven. No, you don't earn your way into heaven. You get to heaven because God says, I would love for you to be here. Please come, right? It's not something that you can achieve through work, right? It's kind of like when your kid decides that they want to dig through the earth to China and, you know, that sounds like fun to them. And you're like, no, you can't. You're like, you will go to China if I decide to give you a plane ticket. You're not going to dig your way there. Okay? That's, that's kind of what, what we're dealing with here. Justification is by God's resurrection power. It's not by human effort. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is what is going to, to save you. It's nothing that, that you're going to do on your own. Romans 5 is really where we meet our theme verse for this next section. Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Chapter 5 begins with this great message on how we can have peace with God. And that's an easy thing to just kind of read over. Oh, we can have peace with God. But in other parts in chapter 5... Paul is going to talk about, well, yes, but the reason we have peace with God is because we were enemies of God. And frankly, that is an incredibly awkward conversation to have, especially in today's culture. There's a very important message uh, in Christianity that says, while we were sinners, God loved us. And that's very true. That's very true. Everyone needs to know that. While we were still sinners, God loved us. But here's where we get confused on the message. A lot of us assume that God loved us because we were lovable. Even as sinners, we were lovable. But that's not what the verses say. The verses say that while we were sinners, we were enemies of God. And that is an entirely, entirely different message. Um, When we were sinners, we were not lovable. Anyone who is not saved by Christ is an enemy of God because embracing sin, we somehow set ourselves as an enemy of God whether, whether we realize it or not. And this is important because if God loved us because we were lovable, there's nothing amazing in that. Everybody does that. Everyone, like even the worst person loves the lovable. Like, there's nothing startling in the message of you were lovable and God loved you. Well, what do you do? I mean, of course, why wouldn't he, right? Like, aren't we all? But people who understand and grasp that their sins have made them an enemy of God and that in choosing sin they have set themselves against God, 
when they understand that they are loved by God, that is an overwhelming message. To know that your enemy loves you and has sacrificed himself for you, that is extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. And the reason why God can call us to say, hey, love your enemies as yourself, is because he did it first. To us. Because when we were enemies, God loved us. So he's just asking us to mimic his behavior. And that's what Paul tells us in Romans, Romans 5, starting in verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. So here's kind of the big shocker. While we were still sinners, i.e. enemies of God, Christ died for us. Uh, And there's another part. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. People who are flippant about the love of God do not understand sin, do not understand really the depth of their wickedness before they, they encountered Christ, and they do not understand their pre-existing condition as an enemy of God. But all this drives home that this central point that God's love is big enough, which is really a, a remarkable message. God's love is big enough. In Romans 6, we're, uh, we're still kind of on this theme of salvation, but things really start to get fun. But Paul is explaining that in this whole salvation process, it's not just that we're saved, but that we're actually transformed. And so he is going to take the whole chapter of chapter 6 to unpack this idea of because we are now in Christ, not just are we saved, thank you, but we're actually dead to sin and alive to Christ. And he's going to take some variation of those two phrases, dead to sin, alive to Christ, and he's going to reword them and say them like a dozen times throughout chapter 6 because he's just wanting to hammer home, hey, you're not dead to sin, but you're alive to Christ. And did I mention that you're dead to sin and alive to Christ? And I don't know if we've covered this yet, but you're alive to Christ, but you're now dead to sin, right? Like just over and over, he's just going to beat this home in chapter 6. In chapter 7, he's now going to use the example of marriage that we're no longer bound to this old system of laws uh, in the Old Testament because Christ fulfilled them. Uh, And this was huge for the the Jewish reader. Um, And really, anyone today even who who adheres to some kind of moralistic religion, when they hit chapter 7, that is nothing but freedom. Nothing but freedom. Because they're so used to, well, if I follow these rules, then I can be a good person— And Paul's saying, Christ fulfilled all of that on your behalf. You have great standing with God because now God sees Jesus when he looks at you. And so, I mean, yes, like we want to continue to do good things, but ultimately that's not how, how, like, your standing with God is determined. So, incredible freedom in chapter 7. In chapter 8, Paul Um, shifts again, and he starts to talk about what is going to happen after we die. He doesn't give us details on on how awesome they're... Like, there's other parts that just basically say, uh, heaven is so good, it's beyond your imagination. Yeah, that's what you get, beyond imagination, right? Um, But whatever it is, whatever we receive, whatever we experience, he does say that it's going to be so wonderful 
that you're not even going to bother mentioning, like, the hard stuff on earth. Like, whatever the worst, I mean, sometimes we have bad weekends, sometimes we have bad decades, right? And just whatever made that one decade horrible, like, it's not like, you're not even going to bother bringing it up because things will be so good, right? I'm a, we, like, 2020 won't even get, like, a footnote, you know? Like, we'll be 2019, and then maybe the later part of 2021, because it's not starting off real great either. But, you know, like, it's just, it just doesn't even come up in conversation because things are so good. He has this neat part where he talks about creation groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And then he talks about Christians groaning as, as we wait for our full adoption as sons, as we wait for Jesus to come back. And, and the Holy Spirit groaning as it intercedes for us on a daily basis to God the Father on our behalf. And it ends with these very encouraging words. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else, anything else in all creation, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Incredibly encouraging words. So that's what we've covered so far. Here's where we're headed next. In the next three chapters, Paul is going to address um, predestination, uh, God's attitude towards the nation-state of Israel now that the church is in play, and then how all that relates to Christians today. So, you know, good stuff. Um, People have been debating these topics for the past few centuries, and, um, but I'm looking forward to it. It, it should be a good time as, as we dive into the, the next three chapters. Um, as I stated, today was a review, just kind of a reminder of, of where we've been, and it does help inform where, where we're going. Uh, this is what we've covered over September, October, uh, November, and really it's the salvation story. Um, really, we covered, like, really up, up Romans 1 through 8 is a very detailed explanation of the salvation story. He's going to unpack it a little bit more. I mean, how does the salvation story uh, relate to, to predestination? What do you do with, with you, know, uh, you know, God's chosen people, the Israelites, and how does that relate today with the church and, and that kind of thing? And so he's going to unpack all of that. Here's, here's what I would say would be kind of the application for this today. So if you are already a follower of Christ, right? If you have confessed your sins to Jesus, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if, if you verbally said Jesus is your Lord, then today was a review for you. Um, it is a process that you need to understand really well because you need to be able to articulate this others to, to others with ease, right? I mean, as we talked about at the beginning, you know, revival apparently really kind of flows out of our understanding and embracing, you know, Romans or basically the gospel in detail. So I would say your biggest takeaway for today is really gratitude. Like, that's your take-home. If you're already a follower of Christ, gratitude. Worship, 
thanksgiving, praise, um, appreciation. Like, you should go home really elated today, okay? Like, just really happy. Like, you don't have to fake it, but you should be really happy going home today. Um, If you are not a follower of Christ, then today was a roadmap for you. Here's what it looks like. Here's the mess you're in. Here's how to get out of the mess. Here's why, you know, coming out of that mess is a permanent thing that that you never have to to second guess, right? If that is your story, then immediately after the service or immediately after you turn off Facebook or Facebook Live or whatever, you need to connect with me or, or another Christian and just say, walk me through the roadmap. Okay? Just walk. Even if you're not sure, just turn to someone and say, let's talk roadmap. Okay? Um... So yeah, it's either gratitude or roadmap. Romans still has a lot of great adventures awaiting for us. I'm very excited to go through these with you. Uh, it should take us about maybe uh, four to six weeks and um, bring us right up to Easter and really excited to go there with you. So let's pray and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible book of Romans. Lord, more than that, we thank you that really it's the gospel message just explained in detail. Lord, like our life was a mess with sin. And it was a mess that we could not get out of on our own. But in your grace and in your mercy and in your power and your love, you loved us while we were still enemies of God and you pursued us and you provided a way out. And we are so thankful. We are so thankful. Lord, for anyone listening where that might not be their story, Lord, I pray that this would become their story and that become their story today. Jesus, you love us. You pursue us. And this morning we say thank you. Lord, as we continue to uh, learn from the book of Romans, God, we pray for your wisdom, your insight, your understanding. And God, may we experience revival. May we experience it personally. May we experience it in our homes. May we experience it in our church and our community. We love you, Jesus. We want to glorify you, and we want to enjoy you forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.